Turn with me, please, to the last book in the Scriptures, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're going to read from verse 9 to verse 20. Let's hear the word of God. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first. And the last, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Let's pray again briefly. Lord, by your Holy Spirit we pray, take again of the things of Christ and show them to us. Give us understanding and increase our faith and our love, and our hope, and our zeal and confidence as we trust in Jesus Christ, our Saviour. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. I'm not aware that the island of Patmos is a favourite destination of tourists and holidaymakers. Though apparently in 1999 it was declared to be a World Heritage Site by UNESCO. And the reason was simply because there is a, a medieval monastery there 
called the Monastery of St. John the Theologian. And there is a cave on the island of Patmos where it is alleged that John wrote this book that we now have in front of us. I'm not so sure that that is the case, but that is the tradition. That's why UNESCO pronounced it to be a World Heritage Site. But for we who are Christians, the island of Patmos has huge significance. There, the Lord Jesus Christ, the exalted Christ, chose to make himself known in extended visions to the last apostle, the last surviving apostle, John. We don't need to make a pilgrimage to Patmos. We have all we need right here in our Bibles. Everything we need to know about our Lord Jesus Christ. It was probably in the last decade of the first century, therefore 50, 60 years, years since the, John had last seen the Lord Jesus Christ when he ascended into heaven. He chose to make himself known. And he chose to give to us, as well as the seven churches initially, chose to give to us this great vision of our exalted Lord Jesus Christ. It's strange in one sense that it should be on the Isle of Patmos. The Isle of Patmos is a very small island. It lies off the western coast today of Turkey. It belongs to the nation of Greece. But it wasn't in Jerusalem and it wasn't in Rome where God spoke. Jesus Christ made himself known. It's strange that in times of adversity, some of the great statements and books of the scriptures were given in times of persecution when the church was as a low ebb. You remember Jeremiah in the Old Testament. He gave us the chapters 32 and 33 uh, uh, while he was in prison. These are the chapters that declare to us the new covenant that God will make with his people. Where was Ezekiel when he had his visions? He's very significant for the book of Revelation. He was in exile in Babylon. Where was Paul when he wrote some of his epistles? He was in prison. And yet God is not limited, you see. And here is John. John, who describes himself in verse 9, your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. What was he doing there? Well, he was a Roman prisoner. Patmos was a Roman penal colony. It may be he was put to work in the quarries there on that island. But he would have been 90 years old or somewhere round about there. But there on this small island, there because of his pers being persecuted, in the spirit on the Lord's day, he is suddenly confronted with this glorious vision of Jesus Christ. He hears a loud voice as of a trumpet. I think that would have been loud enough even for the likes of me to hear, and maybe Emmanuel as well. We are hard of hearing. 
We can hardly hear much without our paraphernalia. But I think on that particular day, we would not have missed, had we have been there, this loud voice like a trumpet sounding forth. What John heard and what John saw was the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. The one that he saw, he had never seen him quite in that form before. This was something new. He sees him in his majesty. He sees him in his rule. He sees him in his glory. The glory of the Messiah. A dazzling figure, terrifying in his impact upon him. It leaves him as one dead. So glorious is the vision. His clothing, his head, his hands, his hair, his eyes, his feet, his voice, his mouth, his face. All is majesty, all is glory. And as we look then we have this impressive figure. It is a composite picture, it's a word picture, it's a, corp a composite image. And it's not just for John as a private vision. It's not just for the seven churches. It is for the church of Jesus Christ throughout all generations. So it is for us, for us to hear. Because the one that John saw is there in the midst of the golden lampstands, the church, the churches, the seven churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how can we unpack what we read in these verses, verses 11 to verse 16 this morning. I will say right at the very beginning that no two commentators are agreed as to the significance of each of these features of the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes it very complicated for a preacher. What is he to make of some of these things? But it is essentially, essentially it is like a tapestry there are various threads in this tapestry and the threads are drawn sometimes from what we call the apocalyptic parts of the old testament the book of daniel in particular now don't be scared by the word apocalyptic it simply means revelation but there are parts of Daniel and other parts like in Ezekiel where God speaks in visions. And we will see in a moment that some of these visions have a direct bearing on the identity of this figure who is revealed to the Apostle John. How are we to take it? Let me go to the end of the vision and what Jesus Christ says to John. Because the Lord Jesus Christ identifies himself clearly to John. So see, first of all, look and see that this one is one who is alive forevermore. Verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Here is one that John then immediately will know this is the very Christ he 
was a disciple of for those three years. This is the one who was crucified. This was the one who was buried. This is the one who was risen from the dead. John had last seen him going up in the clouds to heaven and the angels declaring that he would return again in the clouds. The Lord Jesus Christ wants John to know who he is. I am he who lives. I was dead. I am alive forevermore. This then was a vision of the living Lord Jesus Christ. This was not a project, a, a, a projection rather of John's imagination. He didn't see a statue. He didn't see a picture. He didn't see an icon. What John saw was never to be painted. People have tried to paint it. It's impossible to represent what John saw on a piece of paper. The burden of this passage is to tell us that this is the majesty and the glory of God's Messiah and he is alive and he is alive forevermore it's not primarily trying to tell us what he looks like physically it is a declaration of his identity it's a word picture and John is to write what he sees and what he hears in a book for the seven churches and the point is being made then that Jesus Christ is alive he is alive today and he will always be active and acting on behalf of the church he appears then to john as the one who is alive he has the keys of death he is sovereign over death and hades because he has been raised from the dead he's the alpha the omega the first and the last Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last. He is before all things and all things will be gathered together in him at the end. He's the Lord of history. This is the one who's being displayed. This is the one who is speaking then to us, to John and to the church of every age. So this living one, we see then secondly, Look and see that he is one like the Son of Man. Verse 13, we we'll go back now to the, to the description. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Here's the first thread in this tapestry. Son of Man. That title was one of Christ's favourite ways of referring to himself. It does not refer primarily to his humanity. In chapter 14 of Revelation and verse 14, in another vision, John says, I look, behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. He was going to reap the harvest of the earth, but he is one clothed in glory. John is seeing the one whom Daniel saw in his vision. The first year of 
the last king of Babylon, Belshazzar. The king of Babylon, there was a vision of four beasts from the sea. A lion with the wings of an eagle, a bear with three ribs in its mouth, a leopard with four heads and wings, dreadful beast with ten horns and iron teeth. It's these sort of images that are called apocalyptic revelations. They are pictures. And then in verse 9, you may need to turn to Daniel chapter 7, but there in verse 9, Daniel saw in his vision, I watched till thrones were put in place, the Ancient of Days was seated, his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. We'll come back to that because that is precisely describing the one here in this vision of John. His throne was like a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued, came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were opened. This is the ancient of days. Then Daniel says, I watched. Because of the sound of the pompous words of the horn that was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And as for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. This is the one whom John saw. He draws on this. He draws on this part of Scripture. The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, coming as a great king, destroying his enemies, given dominion and power and glory. This Son of Man then is no mere man. He possesses divine and heavenly glory. Those terrifying beasts... The enemies will be destroyed and the Son of Man will possess his throne and kingdom forever. Now it's very interesting that in the book of Daniel the Ancient of Days is distinguished from the Son of Man. But John sees the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days as one person. You say, well, don't understand that. How, how can that be? I can't explain it to you fully. But remember, we saw in verse uh, 14 of Revelation chapter 1, his head and his hair were white like wool and white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. That's how the Ancient of Days is described in Daniel chapter 7. 
But you see, the Father and the Son are not two gods. They are one God. The Father and the Son are equal in power and in glory. The Son of Man is no less God. He became man, but he is no less God. And his infinite glory and his dominion crushing his enemies. We will see that in more detail. This is the one who has now entered into his inheritance. He has died. He has been raised from the dead. He's been exalted into heaven. And he is equal with his father. He's sitting there at the right hand of his father. And he's identified with the ancient of days. The glorious son of man. So he's not only the living one. He is the glorious son of man. But then... I think we can say thirdly that the Lord Jesus Christ is also our great high priest. Where is he when John sees him? We read in verse 13, he's in the midst of the seven lampstands. That's in the midst of his churches. He's, as it were, walking among them. Remember the Garden of Eden? God was walking talking with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was present. And here is this exalted Lord Jesus Christ, the one like the Son of Man. Here he is in the midst of his church. Why his church? Well, we are told earlier on in Revelation chapter 1, this is the one who has loved us. This is the one who has loved us, who has washed us from our sins in his own blood. We are precious to him. We are vitally important to him. He's made us kings and priests to serve his God, our God. It was a priest. He laid down his life. He atoned for our sins. And now he lives forever. He's exalted higher than the heavens. Hebrews tells us, Chapter 7 and verse 24, he continues forever an unchangeable priesthood, able to save to the uttermost those who come to him and come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And John sees this same Jesus, the great high priest, in the midst of the candlesticks, the, the lampstands, this is the Christ who takes care of the churches. Candlesticks are meant and lampstands are meant to give light. These are not the one candlestick that you had in the tabernacle in the temple with its seven arms. These are seven separate candlesticks, lampstands. And Christ is in the midst of all of them. But it's he who takes care of the lights he makes sure that they shine as lights. The high priest was responsible for the candlestick in the tabernacle, feeding it with the oil and making sure the light did not go out. He would refuel them. That was the only way they were kept burning. Well, here is Christ. Here is Christ, our great high priest. And what is his principal task now in heaven? Yes, he's interceding for us, but he's maintaining his church that she shines as a light in this dark world. Christ walks amongst his churches. It may be that the reference again to his head and his hair, white 
like wool, it's a reference to his holiness, a reference to his purity. Remember how, how the writer of the Hebrews describes the Lord Jesus Christ as holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. This is our great high priest. Here in his holiness, in his purity, maintaining his church. What a great comfort that is. What an encouragement that is to John. There, banished on the Isle of Patmos. What an encouragement then to us. Here is one clothed in majesty and glory. Our Messiah, the living one. The glorious son of man. Our great high priest. That's the one whom John saw. And this Lord Jesus Christ, like the psalmist says, he doesn't slumber, he doesn't sleep. He is the keeper of his people. He will preserve them from all evil. They're coming in, they're going out. From this time forth forevermore. That's our great high priest. But there's a fourth thing here. Look and see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the heavenly messenger. Again, verse 13, he is described as one clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Now we need to turn back again to Daniel to identify him. Not this time Daniel 7, but another vision that Daniel had in the days of Cyrus. The days when Israel began to return from exile. We read there in Daniel chapter 10 another vision. Verses 4 and 5. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Euphas. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in colour, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. It's these things that John picks up. It's these things that John sees. Here is Christ showing himself then to this man in this particular way. And Daniel says, I, I alone saw the vision. The men who were with me didn't see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them, so they fled to hide themselves. And I was left alone when I saw this great vision. No strength remained in me, and my vigor was turned to frailty, and I retained no strength. And yet I heard the sound of his words, his words, a message. I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my, on my face, with my face to the ground. He sees this glorious man. He is a heavenly messenger who speaks words. And again, this is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is going to speak a multitude of words. John is to write them down. All these visions that John has, they are visions given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not the imagination again, then, of the Apostle John. 
Here is the heavenly messenger. Some people say, here is the prophet, the great prophet. But he is divine. This is the one who we find in chapter 5, 4 and 5. He's the one who can open the scroll. He's the one who can loose the seven seals and make known the things which are to take place. And he reveals these things verbally, with words. He is a messenger, with a message for John, with a message for the seven churches, with a message for us. This is the one who reveals God to us, who reveals the Father to us, who reveals the Father's plan and purpose. He gives us eternal life because he has the words, the words of eternal life. In John's Gospel, in chapter 12, our Lord's, again, testimony, the end of that chapter, John 12, verses 48 and 49 and 50. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say, what I should speak. And I know that his command is eternal life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And that's how we are to understand this revelation, this vision. It is Christ speaking and he is speaking his father's words. Those words don't jar. It's not a different message. This is the great Messiah. This is the one who has been sent into this world in order to bring us salvation. And everything that we find in the book of Revelation has that tendency. It culminates in Revelation 21 and 22 in the new heavens and the new earth where God dwells with his people. And sin and Satan, the false prophet and the beast are no more. Where every tear is wiped away and we enjoy eternal life in all its fullness. But it is Christ who brings that message to us. It is Christ bringing that message to John. Say that is why he is to write these things down. A permanent record so that we have them. And then there is one other aspect we've seen he is the living one we've seen that he is the glorious son of man we've seen him as our great high priest we've seen him as the heavenly messenger but he's also here as the righteous judge of all the earth that's implied in the whole of the vision but it comes to the forefront with those eyes those eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ like a flame of fire. He knows everything. And when he sees sin, there is anger, holy anger. When he sees rebellion and opposition, he acts as a judge. John sees him, sees those eyes like a penetrating laser beam. The last prophet in the Old Testament, Malachi, 
cried out, Who can stand before such a judge? He sees everything in the churches. And more importantly, he sees everything that's going on in the nations. What John refers to and Christ refers to as Babylon and all that that conjures up. And notice again then in verse 16. He has in his right hand the seven stars, but out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. That is his word. His word assesses, his word judges. Hebrews again, for that word is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of joints and the marrow, a discerner of the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents of the heart. In Isaiah chapter 49, the servant of the Lord is given a mouth like a sharp sword. Said that John draws on and sees things that have already been made known about this Messiah. And his voice, well, his voice was like the sound of many waters, perhaps like the crashing surf on the island of Patmos during a great storm. I've stood by the side of Niagara Falls. I've stood by uh, the, Livingst uh, the falls on the Zambezi, the Livingston Falls. You cannot hear yourself speak because of the roar of the water. His voice is powerful. His voice is full of majesty, life, power and vigour. And his face is shining like the sun in all its strength. There is infinite splendour, but he is there as the judge, the righteous judge who knows everything. Don't you cry out with the psalmist when you begin to see something of his holiness and his majesty and glory as a righteous judge? Cry out with him, Lord, if you should mark our iniquities, Lord, who should stand? Most of you have heard, I'm sure, of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He was the inventor of Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson and all those detective stories. Well, I don't know quite how he did this, but apparently he sent out anonymously letters to some of the great people, famous people, in England. A few words. You have been found out. Some of the people who received those letters apparently left England. They scarpered quick. They had been found out. Their conscience struck them. But you see, when you stand before this great judge, effectively, you've been found out. You can't hide. You can't fool Christ. This is the one who has eyes like a flame of fire. And when he speaks with his sharp two-edged sword, when he speaks his word, he has a verdict. Judges are over a court and they pass a verdict. And this sword cuts. And it's either salvation for those who have put their trust in Christ 
for his judgment for his enemies. His glory and splendor and majesty are a source ultimately of joy and gladness to those who are the saints of God, those being washed from their sins by his precious blood. But he is terrifying, terrifying to those who are remaining ungodly. Verse 7 indicates this, and I could go to other passages in Revelation, but I do not have the time. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. They will see him as the righteous judge. Even those who pierced him, those who crucified him, they will see him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Why will they mourn? Because this righteous judge will pass a verdict upon them. They have remained in their sin. They are guilty. They are unclean. If you remain in that state, there is no place for you with Jesus Christ in heaven. No place. Now, if Jesus Christ were to pass verdict upon you this morning, would it be you're one of my sheep? You belong to me, I've washed you clean, or you're one of the goats. Depart from me. I never knew you. Those are the most terrifying words that Jesus Christ ever spoke. So, where do you stand? Where do you stand? If you're not yet a Christian, these things ought to profoundly affect you. Jesus Christ is a righteous judge, but he also stands before us as a great saviour, compassionate, full of grace, full of kindness, one who draws men and women, sinners to himself. This is great love. Why did he come into this world? Sinners to save, to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to judge and condemn. He came to save, but he will judge and condemn if you refuse to come to Christ and be saved. Some of you young people, and perhaps some of you who are older, let me ask you, is it a priority? Is it a priority that you are seeking to become a Christian? Or are you distracted by 101 other things? I urge you, make it a priority to become a Christian to set your heart upon seeking God and crying to him for mercy in Jesus Christ. And he will not refuse you. He will not refuse you if you come as that lost and guilty sinner to Christ. This great, glorious Jesus Christ we have seen is the saviour of sinners. I stand before you as one washed 
by the blood of Jesus Christ. I was the age of some of you sitting here in the front row, 15, 16 years of age, when I knew that I was a sinner and that Jesus Christ was the only saviour of sinners. I didn't know very much, but I knew those things and I came and found <coughs> eternal life. Do not wait, do not delay. Do not wait for that terrible day. Because with all the nations of the earth and the tribes of the earth, you will mourn. You will mourn. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Christ. Come now to Christ. He is ready and willing to receive you. What does this say finally to those of us who belong to Christ? Well, very simply, believe that this is your Christ, your Saviour. Believe him. Believe all that he says about himself. Do we not pray, Lord, increase my knowledge, my understanding, increase my love, increase my faith, increase my hope. We are to believe that he is this very person who he reveals himself to be. And when we think of him, do you think of him with pleasure, with delight, with joy? This is my Savior, this is my God, this is the one who has redeemed me. Or do you only think of him occasionally? Rarely. You'll find your life is not easy because you do not look upon Christ sufficiently. If you look upon him and love him, trust him, confess your sins to him, willing to suffer for him, then you will stand firm, then you will persevere. The promises are given to the churches to the one who overcomes. How do you overcome? By faith, by looking to Christ. And then, of course, there are many things in this life that shake us to the very core of our being. Lots of people testified that when the Queen died, earlier this month that she would have been a source of stability for 70 years but once the funeral was over this nation descended into political chaos her 96 years were over well, what now well our Lord is not just a memory He's not one who has lived and died and we just remember him. This is the living one. This is the one who is on his throne. This is the one who is seated in glory with his father. This is the living one. This is the glorious son of man. 
This is our great high priest. This is the heavenly messenger. This is the righteous judge. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. He will never die. He will never abdicate from his throne. The new heavens and the new earth are guaranteed to us. And he rules in this world on behalf of his church. He said, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against her. Why? He has the keys of death and Hades. He's over that realm. He's conquered that realm. And why has he done that? For his people. He is going to bring us to victory, to triumph. Some of you will have heard this story before. There's a very short little commentary on the book of Revelation by a man called Richard Pews. He was uh, rector, I think, or vicar, whatever these Anglicans call these guys, at All Souls in Langham Place. And my understanding is that someone was converted, and this man came to Richard Pews and said, I've just read the book of Revelation. And Richard Pews was sort of panicking, and thinking, what on earth is he going to make of that? Oh, he said, it's quite simple. The lamb wins. The lamb wins. This new Christian got it in one. And that's, that's our hope. That's our confidence. That's what we know. That's why John is seeing this Christ, this lamb. He's not portrayed here as a lamb, but he is in further chapters into Revelation. He wins the day. He triumphs on behalf of his church. His enemies will not prevail he will reign until all his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Our confidence then is in him. Let us rejoice in him. Let us go forth and be strong for him. Let us go forth and not be afraid of testifying to our Lord Jesus Christ in this wicked world in which we live. He will triumph and we shall triumph with him. Blessed be his name. Amen. Amen.